This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Anderson Quantity Surveying. Based in Aberdeen but working throughout Scotland and beyond with almost 20 years experience in the construction industry, AQS specialise in all aspects of cost budgeting and control on construction projects. Whether you're embarking on a domestic or commercial refurbishment, extension or new build, AQS can provide you with budget cost plans, tender documentation, contractor comparison reports and cost management tools for use throughout the construction phase of your project. To find out more, give AQS a call on 01224 502 550 or email gary at andersonqs.co.uk It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 31 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin Baxter and Graeme Steele. Guys, how's it going? Fine, thank you. It's uh, It's been a weekend of emotions, mixed emotions to say the very least. Um, came home yesterday with a new dog, so life is very good. And then about an hour ago, someone suggested John Terry for the Aberdeen job, so I don't really even know what to think anymore. There we go. And in a week that saw Kyle Lafferty reenact his Charlie Mulgrew moment, except this time it ends up with Bobby Madden just laughing at him. And our broth against Hamilton to be played out with three Hamiltons in the Arbroath starting 11 and one Hamilton in the Hamilton side. It's another busy week on the ABZ FP. And fair warning, if you like your podcast to have a dirty phone call vibe, this probably isn't the one for you. And after another dismal week for the Dons that saw a slip to defeat against Celtic annex at the Scottish Cup in the limpest of manners at Fair Park, which ultimately saw the dismissal of Stephen Glass from the manager's hot seat, we're joined by Ali Begg to look back at the last nine months and we try to figure out where we go from here. Ali, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thank you again for having me on. Pleasure is all ours. I just wish it was in slightly more positive circumstances. Yeah, me too. But hey, listen, we'll take our regular look over the women's team as well, the young team and our loanees and loan watch. And after the break, we'll take some time to preview the week ahead and our doubleheader in the SPFL Premiership as we see St. Johnston visit Pataudry on Tuesday evening. And we return to the scene of the crime in Motherwell on Saturday. But first, Motherwell 2, Aberdeen 1, Saturday the 12th of February 2022. Fir Park, Scottish Cup, fifth round. Now, normally we would do a review of the Celtic game here, but it's been a week since that game took place. Everyone's got what they need to say about that game out of the way, I think. There's nothing really we can add about it other than, you know, terrible first half uh, leading to what would have been a remarkable turnaround in the second half that wasn't to be. But on to Saturday uh, at Fir Park, Stephen Glass making two changes to the side that started against Celtic. Dylan McGeek, Calvin Ramsey dropping out to be replaced by Funzo, King, Ojo and Adam Montgomery. Goalkeeper Craig Sampson brought to the club a short-term goalkeeping coach cover and registered last minute on the bench together with Jamie Shingler after the news that young goalkeeper Tom Ritchie had suffered a bad injury and is going to be out for some time. And in monsoon conditions, it was Aberdeen who made a lightning start. A fine ball swirled in by McCrory on the right. Was inch perfect for Christian Ramirez and the American rose highest in the box to nod past Liam Kelly and the Dons were a goal to the good within three minutes. And it was nearly two, just four minutes later, 
a ball over the top from Bates causing Ojala all sorts of issues and Ramirez's lobbed effort had beaten Kelly all ends up but was caught by the wind and drifted wide of goal. And after that, the home side began to take control of the game, turning the match into a bit of a battle and there was only one team who was going to win in that scenario. An equaliser coming on 34 minutes, poor defensive work by both Brown and Hayes, saw the ball end up with Van Veen and his shot took a big deflection off David Bates and flew into the net beyond Gary Woods. A nasty-looking tackle on Ross McCrory, saw McCrory withdrawn with what looked like a bad injury to his right knee, replaced by Calvin Ramsey, before well took the lead in injury time of the first half. A corner swung right on top of Woods, who flapped at it, the ball falling to Shields, who had the easiest of tasks to drive home. Jack McKenzie replacing Johnny Hayes at halftime, but it was well who continued to dominate and bully the men in red. Van Veen should have scored on 48 minutes, but his effort was saved well by Woods. And it was the same story again on 77 minutes. In the interim, Kennedy was introduced for Montgomery before Jet and Connor Barron came on for the last 10 minutes in place of Ojo and Bajouin. Aberdeen finally began to get balls into the box in the last five minutes. Barron impressing with his play. A Ramirez effort was well saved by Kelly in the final minute. But that was that. The Dons limping out of the cup in the meekest of fashions. Vitriolic scenes in the way and afterwards. And uh, come Sunday morning, it was official that Stephen Glass, Alan Russell and Henry Appleu had all been dismissed from the club. Guys, we'll come on to Stephen Glass and the dismissal in a minute or two, I guess. But just on the game itself, your thoughts? Felt it was pretty much copy, paste, repeat from quite a lot of the, the season, unfortunately. The only slight flip side here was we actually went ahead in the game um, but predictably we were unable to really get a foothold in the game and and see it out and there was just a sort of inevitability that once they got one back they were going to get the second and it was just a little bit disappointing it was pretty much the last kick of the ball in that first half when it happened and then after that you know at times we put together a couple of good moves but it's all just a little bit slow and ponderous and it just kind of seemed to be the way Things had gone for, well, probably with the exception of maybe late July, August, most of the season, unfortunately. Yeah, wasn't able to be there, but I uh, was listening to the game on the radio on the way back up the road and uh, happy, excited, surprised somewhat when Ramirez gets the first goal. Um, a beauty of a goal from what I believe. But um, as Graham says, as soon as they got the equaliser, you just had this sense of dread and inevitability that they would go on and win the game. And we've shown... On too many occasions in this season, when we go down and uh, and we're challenged, we we can't stand up to it, and that seems to be the same story that's happened again yesterday. Felt we got bullied as soon as Christian Ramirez missed that chance to put his two 0 up. And when I say I missed it, I, I use that term loosely because I thought it was a fantastic effort, and it could have gone in. It just it was so unfortunate; it just fell the other side of the post. But after that. They got nasty and they yeah. bullied us and we just couldn't cope. And again, it's been, for me, our biggest issue, not just this season, but the past three or four seasons. You could even go back five years. We just get bullied out of games. Look at how Kevin Van Veen celebrated Motherwell's equaliser. He's right in the face of Declan Gallagher, giving it to him big time. Yeah. Now, I don't see... It, it, to me, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I said at the time that I think it's it's unsportsmanlike, but I, I completely get it and I understand why he did it. And to be honest with you, with the power of hindsight, if half of our players had that attitude, we would actually do okay. But the problem is we don't. And 
we had nobody on Saturday who was willing to take that game by the scruff of the neck and to get in their faces and to play the game like for like. And unfortunately, we saw what happened. We surrendered and we surrendered far too easily. And I just felt we had no outlay. There was no press. There was no balls into the box. There was nothing. And where was the plan B? And I also have to say, and I, and I mean this with the greatest respect to the boy, Adam Montgomery, why are we playing a kid from the start of a game when we have got somebody like Connor Barron who has come on and has showed already that he can lift us, he can give us a spark, he can do something different. Why are we starting a kid who is on loan in place of one of our own developed young players? Surely we should be developing our players, not players from other clubs. I was disappointed that Connor Barron didn't get a start yesterday. Yeah, I mean, hey, you're not going to get a disagreement, I don't think, from any of us on this podcast. I mean, you can understand, I think, if you get Montgomery comes in and we know he's a, a gem, like a Ryan Christie type, for example, and, and you go, this is a guy who could absolutely turn a game in your favour with a bit of magic. But I don't see that with Montgomery. He's tidy. He's, he's, he's technically decent. But in a game like that yesterday, uh, it's, it's not the environment I think that we, we should be playing a guy like that. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think I tweeted out at halftime. I spoke about it in the preview there. As soon as Motherwell decided, right, we've had enough of this, we're just going to start getting nasty, getting in their faces, playing on the edge of the laws of the game at times. We just didn't have any sort of answer to it, and we just wilted in the face of the pressure, the, the intensity of it, and the physical nature of it all. And Motherwell have done that to us now three times this season. Um, they've worked out exactly what you need to do against us, and we've got absolutely no answer to it. And Ali, you've touched on it there. Where was our plan B? And again, we've spoken about it after coming out the January transfer window that we've got nothing as far as a, a plan B in the squad from an attacking perspective to try and change a game like that yesterday. I got so deeply frustrated yesterday watching it at the ground. The pitch was slow in the second half, especially the ball was holding up a lot in it. And we kept on playing pretty passing football in around the midfield area where the ball was getting bogged down on the grass. It was giving Mudwell ample opportunities to either get back into shape or alternatively, because the balls were slowing up so much, to get right in the face of guys receiving a ball. And it's like, this is not the, this is not the, this is not the game, this is not the conditions to be playing football like that. And this is a game where you have to sacrifice your principles and your style. You probably need to go a little bit more direct get the ball up the channels and make it tricky for them. Because in the first half, in the opening 10 minutes, that's what we were doing. We were popping balls over the top of Ojala and he was struggling big time with it. And we just seemed to suddenly stop doing it. And as you say, no plan B whatsoever sitting on the bench. Just a really meek, disappointing exit from, from a cup game, which was in a tie yesterday that was entirely winnable. That's a Motherwell team who are on a similarly bad run of form as we are going in. Just, just not, not good enough. I'm afraid. I feel like that's just summed everything up in one go. <laughs> I think I would just say that I take the point about Connor Barron as well. But Mike Kennedy has been a rare, mm -hmm. good spark in in recent games. And I, if maybe he thought, let's go with a more experienced player, then I don't see why we couldn't have started Mike Kennedy to do that job of just making 
the game tricky for one of their fullbacks to have someone that's just going to run at them all day. Or, and then when you talk about the inability or the unwillingness to battle, I mean, I mean, I see when Van Veen gets in, I think it's Declan Gallagher's face that he gets in and Gallagher just laughs off. There's no, there's no dig. And how is that possible when Scott Brown is our captain? It's, it's mind boggling. It really is. And it's just, it sounds like yesterday, the game at Fir Park is just almost like, you know, a summary in 90 minutes of our time under Stephen Glass, probably since maybe Wraith Rovers, because there was that time when we did have plan B, or it felt like we did. We had a man yeah. that was prepared to make those changes when things weren't going right. And since then, it's just like for like subs and just hope that plan A works or gets better. And just that unwillingness or inability to adapt in circumstances is what's led to me feeling as though the decision the club have taken here on Sunday is the right decision to make. Graham, you were there yesterday. Yeah, I think just you've pretty much covered most of it. I can I can accept watching an Aberdeen team that maybe doesn't have the best players if they are getting beaten by a team that's technically superior because that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I can't really accept watching a team just get outfought and bullied for 90 minutes and it's not really 90 minutes this is most of the season but like you know when you think about Saturday for that whole game there's even a couple of examples where I think uh, I think it was in the second half Ramsey's taking you know whatever Ramsey did you know so it all kicked off that little bit in the corner yeah and he's getting stuff pelted at him and things like that and it shouldn't happen but it's part of football but they kept you know he kept on taking throw-ins like Gallagher's there Brown someone should have been coming over I'm not quite treating him like a kid, but someone should be standing there taking that for him, taking him out of the situation, an experienced player. But everyone's just like, oh, we'll just we'll just leave him to it. I don't, I don't want to get involved. I just feel like we could have handled... It's just, it sounds petty, but it's little bits and pieces like that where you've got experienced guys in that team. You're supposed to have leaders. Someone should be coming, taking the care of the firing line, dealing with it. I don't know, just showing a bit of desire and drive. Whereas everyone's just kind of like, oh, I'm glad that's not me. I'll just shy away from that. It's an interesting point because I don't know if it should be the case where you say, like, I'm not going to let him take the throw in because I think that probably breeds a bigger set of abuse the next time Ramsey takes one. But what, I'd, what I would expect in that situation is experienced players like Brown, like Gallagher. In fact, most of the team we've got are pretty experienced. Let's not beat around the bush here. Even to be in the referee's face around what's going on here. Like, they let the referee stand 40 yards away from what was going on and the referee just not take any sort of action on that. But that also leads to a slightly different point as well, Graham, around just our level of, like, gamesmanship and I hate using this as a stick to beat people with but Van Veen yesterday right he was a walking red card for most of that game and a sensible wise experienced centre-half pairing or, or, or even our goalkeeper could have got him sent off yesterday if they'd really played the game you know there was enough times where Van Veen was going up for headers with them you know, you can make the most of a bit of a, uh, there was an elbow raise there, whatever. There was one time he charged and he slid on a Gary Woods when he was making a clearance. It's like, all Woods needs to do is leave his leg dangling here. Take it, down you go. Referee's got a huge decision to make to try and, you know, give put Muddle out of 10 men. It's not what you want to see us doing, but in a game like that, where you, you kind of have to win by hook or by crook, I just didn't feel we were even trying to take advantage of situations that presented themselves to us. Well, even in that situation, that's not necessarily us cheating per se. There was a man... It looked like he fancied an early shower because the conditions yeah. were miserable yeah. and they were 2-1 up and we didn't give him the opportunity for that. 
I mean, how he was still on the pitch is ridiculous. But yeah, part of that is if everyone else is going to do it and you refuse to do it, you're just going to get left behind. You see, the biggest issue for me there is we knew because we've played them twice this season and they've beaten us twice in exactly the same manner, what we were going to get from them. So when they started that type of style of football, that tactic and bullying us, we had absolutely no answer to it at all. Now, don't tell me that there wasn't a discussion ahead of the game that this potentially could happen. And if it was going to happen, how are we going to deal with it? And we simply did not deal with it. And for me, that was a big issue yesterday because we became tame. We became tame in our play and we became timid, not just as a not just individually, but as a collective. And that eventually led to us losing the game. We had 45 minutes to get back into that game. And I don't think we tested our their goalkeeper, apart from Christian Ramirez in injury time. By that point, it was far too late. To be fair, it was a fantastic save that he made in injury time. But up until then, I don't think we laid a glove on Motherwell, literally, for 45 minutes. Now, for me, that is a sign of a team and players who potentially are mentally not strong enough. Same story as Livingston last week, isn't it? Yeah. And I remember Stephen Glass in his post-match saying that they knew what they were expecting, and he was surprised that we didn't stand up to the challenge they provided. But like Ali said, it's the story of the season. when teams like that come against us and they're spiky and they're aggressive and they're street smart the players don't appear to know what's coming it doesn't appear that there's preparation in terms of what the opposition are going to bring to us certainly post post the european games um with the exception maybe of you know the old firm games and a game here and there and i find this so surprising though when you look at our squad because it's not an inexperienced group of players you've got David Bates is not a young lad anymore. He's been here, he's seen it, he's done it, he's played for Rangers, he knows what this is about. Declan Gallagher's, again, been around the block on a number of occasions. Scott Brown, this is the kind of game yesterday we've said, I don't know how many times now in this podcast, games like yesterday are the games where I really want Scott Brown to be stepping up and taking a game by the scruff of the neck. I don't really care about playing up to the crowd when we play Rangers, as much as a laugh as that is when he's, he's in the heads of all the Rangers players, that's fine, but it's in the games against Motherwell yesterday. St. Mirren a couple weeks ago, Ross County, Livingston. These are the games where we need a guy like that to pull us through. Lewis Ferguson has played 150 times now in the first team. He's a young lad, but he's an experienced lad at this level. Johnny Hayes, likewise, he's an experienced guy at this at this level of football. Funzo Ojo, he's been he's played in Scotland for long enough now to know what this is about. It's not so it's a bunch of kids who are suddenly getting run over the top of here. These are guys who know what this is all about. And for us just to wilt like that is just it's mind-boggling and it's just just so disappointing because I think Graham I think I said it to you yesterday at the game or it might have been to 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 Robo to my left as an Aberdeen fan you can kind of accept being put out the cup if your team puts in the effort and they bust the gut to win the game but it's just one of those games it's just not working out for you and the other team scored a worldie or they get a deflected goal like Van Veen's one was for example and it flies in the top corner and that ends up being the winning goal and you know what you can see that the team have kind of really laid it out in the pitch and they've left nothing out there. Fine. That's just the way the football is sometimes. It's much, much harder to stomach when you just look at a team and you're like, I just don't think anyone's even trying. You see, my issue at the moment is I think the players have to do some serious soul searching. But Stephen, as the manager, will always be held accountable for results and performances. But how much is he actually responsible? 
because tactically at times he has got it wrong, but he's also had the brass neck to change it at times. Not enough, I don't think, over the 40 games that he was in charge, because I think that our passing ultimately became too passive and too predictable and too square. Now, is the manager responsible for that? Because this is where I'm suggesting that sometimes in situations like this, the players need to take a long, hard look at themselves. Stephen was accountable at the end of the day, but I'm also not 100% sure if he received the full backing from behind the scenes. One of the biggest mistakes I think he made was not appointing an experienced Scottish assistant to back him up. I know Neil Simpson was in there and he was taking care of things and he played a role, but I think he needed somebody who knows the ugly side of Scottish football, somebody that knows the DNA of Scottish football, who could help him and who could guide him and could advise him along. Because I'm telling you, Alan Russell was not that man. And with the greatest respect to um, Henry Apollo, he also was not that man. And I think that was one of Stephen's biggest mistakes. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that point, Ali. I don't think there's many people disagree. And the, the interesting thing about that is there's almost a guy probably sitting in the club already who could almost have done that role in Barry Robson. Not, not an experienced, experienced coach at the top level, but that's a guy who's been around the block in Scottish football. He knows all about the nasty side of the game in Scotland. He knows what it's like to go to Dens Park on a wet October afternoon and what that's going to look like. Um, I completely agree with you on that front. I think that the failure of whether it's Glass, whether it's Stephen Gunn, whether it's Dave Cormack to say, look, I think it would be a good idea if you have somebody a bit more experienced alongside you is a big one. I can see why they've gone down the Russell route. Apollo, I know nothing about him. I know literally nothing about Henry Apollo. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I'm sure he has the best interest of the club and everything at heart, but I know absolutely nothing about him. I couldn't comment about what his coaching credentials are like, but they, they're not exactly, when you see what he's done in his career, they're not exactly knocking you off your seat. I agree with Ali. That it always comes down to the manager, whether it's right or wrong. It's unfortunately the manager is your, the first first one to go, if you like, because you, you can't change out your contracted players overnight. It never happens. I do agree. It doesn't look like he had the full confidence and or support of the guys upstairs um transfer window yeah was a disaster I, I don't accept that was his fault um other bits and pieces that have happened or not happened i can't really accept but it's entirely the manager's fault i know he puts the players out and he you know picks the formation and what he wants to do but i think it is fair to say they've not really certainly in the last few weeks not really lived up to expectations so I, I think he's been he's been hampered a little bit there um it's just a little bit worrying sort of all round because it's actually it's more than just Stephen Glass that's at fault here it's just unfortunately he's the first one to suffer for it let's um it seems like this is the natural point of the conversation just to move on to the to obviously what came out this morning that confirmation coming out so, Sunday morning so, so hang on we're not going to do a top dawn yesterday uh no <laughs> Connor Barron. I I don't actually you know what I completely agree with you on that one. Connor Barron topped on for me yesterday. Um, yeah, it seems like the natural point to move on just to talk about I guess the news that that came out this morning. Now this is something that we'd been given the nod about pretty much straight on 
full time yesterday that Stephen Glass was going to be sacked. There's a lot to be said about the fact that the club is leaky in a sieve at the moment. I think all of us on this call are probably of the view it's the right decision. A shock to anyone that it came about this morning? No, not at all. I think yesterday for me was the final straw. I, I said that I, in the morning, I said, if we lose today, I think sadly he has to go. The win percentage is what? Less than 35%. 40 games, won 13, drew 7, lost 20, scored 51, conceded 58. I think it had to happen now because we must not kid ourselves. We are going to get dragged into a relegation dogfight. And I am concerned that we do not have the personnel at that football club to be able to handle a nasty dogfight relegation battle. And I think that whoever comes in, be it in an interim period or somebody who gets appointed, it's the first thing that they're going to have to look at is do I have a group of players here who have the mentality to get us out of this? Now, I know that we're only a handful of points away from getting back into the top six, closing on to fifth and fourth position. I get that. And I'm trying to remain positive that we can get ourselves up there again. But at the moment, with the way that we are playing, the way that we are conducting ourselves, and the way that we are getting bullied, I am more concerned that we're going to get dragged in. The, the next appointment is absolutely vital because we need, as fans, to rediscover the trust and gain the confidence of the board again. Because I think at the moment, if you were to ask a high percentage of our fan base, I believe that there is very little confidence in our board at the moment. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that. Uh, setting aside frustrations around the manager, there was a lot of noise around his appointment at the start with how he may or may not have been selected. Um, and I think uh, the, the confidence is really difficult to repair. It's not going to happen overnight. So I think you're absolutely right. The, the next step is really, really important. And it would be good if there could be a little, a little bit more sort of forthcoming the club maybe around, obviously they're not going to publish a list of people that have applied, but maybe just don't keep us in the dark until the next outstanding candidate appears, um, because I think that might be quite a difficult relationship to repair. To answer the question of whether I was surprised or not, um, I think, like Ali, I felt that it was the right call for sure. Um, I think even if we'd won yesterday, it was merely prolonging uh, a reign, a tenure that was not going to be Ultimately, it's not going to be successful. Um, I was surprised in a sense because I thought Cormac would stick with him potentially out of stubbornness, given the way I look at it. If he wasn't backed in January fully, what's the point of keeping him beyond January instead of getting a new person in if they, if they had already lost confidence in him? Um, likewise... I see people saying that, listen, it's not that bad because we're four points off fourth place and a European finish. And that's very true. But I'll say what I said last week again, 29 points out of 75 is not good enough to be 14 points behind a very, very average Hearts team is not good enough for Aberdeen. 
and I don't trust it's one win in seven in 2022. And I only see free fall. And all I can say is that if St. Johnston or Dundee, one of them gets the rack together, strings a few results together, then we're in there. And I likewise, I don't trust our players. It's the same story as we spoke with Tom Watt in October. I don't trust our players in that situation to come through it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty damning, isn't it? Let's be honest. And I guess to put it into context, uh, Ali, you've already put some of the kind of data out there already. You know, Glasses reign is the shortest of any permanent Aberdeen manager in history. Uh, a win percentage of 32.5%, winning 13 of his 40 games. I mean, when you look at the numbers comparatively, the closest permanent manager he, his stats match up to are probably Steve Patterson. Patterson had a win rate of about 34% or so in 68 games. A similar overall win percentage to Craig Brown on, on 33%. Two wins away from home this season domestically out of 15, both of which were fortuitous. Um, Livingston away when Strychek throws one in in the last minute and a 1-0 win at McDermott Park where Teddy Jenks plays basketball before following the ball in. You know, there realistically we could have been standing here now after yesterday's performance with zero wins away from home this season on 15 just a real a real shame in the way it's worked out and i absolutely completely agree with with everyone on the call as well that i have real concerns about us pulling our act together pulling our fingers out quickly to avoid getting sucked into something which could become very very troublesome very very quickly that starts on tuesday night now as we sit um, at this particular moment in time, there's been no confirmation at the club as to the interim coaching arrangements. Uh, they say that that's going to come in the next couple of days. We've been told from the same people that told us about the fact that Glass was gone as of full-time yesterday, that it's going to be uh, Barry Robson and Neil Simpson will be in interim charge. I presume Scott Brown will be involved in that loop somehow as well. Um Huge match for them on Tuesday night. We'll come on to the we'll come on to the uh, the previews later on. But where do we think it's really all just gone wrong for for Stephen Glass this season? Can I just add that I think it's important to say, just purely from a personal point of view, that I'm desperately sad for Stephen. I I bought into him coming into the football club. I knew it was high risk. I knew that he was coming with a certain amount of experience. But he had to take the job. I, I believed when he was offered it, he had to take it. Who in their right mind would not take a job like this when it's offered to him? And I, from what I, from what I can see from an outsider looking in, he's done his best, but his best is not good enough. And unfortunately, his lack of experience at a very high level has showed. But that still does not take away from the fact that I am terribly sad for him and that I hope there is a support network behind the scenes to make sure that whatever he does next, that he's taken care of and that his family are taken care of and he's not just left to get on with things and move on because he's only been with us for 11 months. And from what I understand, his training methods were good. The players bought into his training methods. The players bought into his ideas. For some reason, it just that just did not equate to what was going on on the pitch. And as I said earlier, unfortunately, the manager will always be accountable for that. But I hope going forward that he's okay. He's going to be fine. 
He's learned from this experience. He will use this experience and that he will go on and become a top-level coach. Yeah, I would absolutely echo that. Sometimes as fans tend to forget that there's the human element here that someone has lost their job and or their livelihood. So I think, um, and given that it's, you know, Sabarine, I think we like to, you like to think the club's doing a little bit more than other clubs and you're, you're looking after people who shouldn't just be, right, you're bend out and that's that. So yeah, for what it's worth, I think it's important that people remember it's a guy that is best. I mean, the opportunity to go from where he was, the the many steps of the ladder he managed to miss out by getting the Aberdeen job, it's 100% not his fault for taking it. You've been mad not to because those opportunities don't come round. How we got there, other people I think maybe need to look at themselves there. Um, no, I have no fault with him for taking it. He absolutely had to. I agree. There was a lot of good stuff and it did change things because we did need a change. It's just a real shame that it hasn't worked out and hope people don't forget the fact that he's not just the ex-manager of Aberdeen. He's, he's, a, he's a person who's got now quite a few things to have a think about. A person who has also contributed a lot to the club. Like That should not be lost sight of at all. Yeah, hey, I mean, I was just going to say it. I mean, I completely echo everything you've said, Ali. I've said it before in this podcast. Stephen Glass was probably, for me, growing up, up there with my favourite players ever for Aberdeen. Um, I remember when Stephen broke into the Aberdeen team initially, I viewed him as being like the second coming of Ian Jess to an extent. And they were very, very different players, but he reminded me of Jess in just so many different ways. Um, played a huge, huge role in um, us escaping relegation in, in 1995. That should never be forgotten. Uh, a key, key player in the run to the Coca-Cola Cup when in, in 1995 got a nice little mountain bike out of the uh, out of the deal as well. And it's just a real shame that it's ended this way for him. And I really hope that this is one of these situations that doesn't go a bit, you know, Mark McGee, where someone's legacy and someone's, you know, history as a player at Aberdeen is kind of tarnished by what ends up happening in their managerial stint here. We touched on it last week, and I think um, I spoke about with, uh, with with Chris when I was driving up the road yesterday, that ironically, I think, um, I actually think there was a really good role for Stephen Glass at Aberdeen Football Club when he came in in the summer. But I think it was in the director of football position, if I'm honest. I think he would have ticked a lot of boxes to potentially come into that sort of role and do very well in it. He's, he's spent a lot of time, obviously, on the youth development side in the States, has experience of managing first teams, although not necessarily at the highest level, but has experience of doing it. It, it struck me as being that that could have been a role that maybe would have been quite well suited for, for Stephen. Um, it's disappointing that this is this is the way it's worked out. But Ali, you're right. Um, he couldn't turn the job down. Hey, look, listen, none of us on the call would have turned the job down, would we? Even though we would all be dramatically underqualified to take the role, none of us are going to turn it down if you get the opportunity to do it. Um, you can't blame the guy for taking it. I think that there are huge, huge questions still around the way in which he was appointed. Um, they're never going to go away. And they bring with it added pressure now on the guys who have to make the decision on who comes in next but i don't think we've necessarily quite touched on where do we think it actually is, has really just just all gone wrong this year i would say there it's kind of went wrong almost from the moment he was appointed in many ways in the sense that and we've talked about this so much and i don't know for like speaking chinese on twitter or something but some people don't seem to be getting our point that we try to get across the structure the way about the way the structure was put together was just so shambolic and what i mean by that is Stephen Glass came in as head coach, manager, whatever his job title was. I can't remember exactly when Alan Russell joined, but it seemed quite... It was pretty quickly afterwards, yeah. yeah. And then 
the director of football is appointed. Yeah. And again, just to make this clear, we've spoken with Adam Rooney, Willow Flood, Mark Reynolds, Stephen Gunn. Everyone talks about him in the most glowing of terms, but he has no, to the best of my knowledge, track record of being involved in the various departments that would go in to giving you the relevant experience to become a director of football of Aberdeen. So there's the point that the director of football is perhaps underqualified. And secondly, that he came in after the head coach, when in fact the director of football should be overseeing the football operation, not coming in once it's effectively put in place. Throw in that, then a head of recruitment appointed, I think in the last week of August, after what was going to be a huge transfer window, just the mechanisms, this infrastructure weren't in place for really, to be fair, anyone to come in. And it doesn't, it also doesn't matter how good a coach we got or how successful a direct football we got in. It's just the structure was all wrong. And the structure is fine in theory, but the way it was put together was just not good enough. And that falls, to me, that falls at the feet of the, uh, of the man at the very top. And that's, uh, that's Dave Cormack. The process was all wrong. And the process should have been thought out before Derek and the doc left. There should have been forward planning. In any huge corporate organization, the key to success is communication, forward planning, and process. And I don't think any of that was put in place at all. It was like we were putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And listen, I absolutely echo the thoughts of Adam, Mark, and Willow that Stephen is a fantastic guy. He's one of the nicest guys that I've ever met, and I'm extremely fond of him as a person. But I must admit, I was openly surprised when he was given the role as a director of football. Stephen is a fantastic football administrator, one of the best that I've ever seen. But a director of football, in my humble opinion, is someone who has played the game at the very highest level, who is able to identify a team's weaknesses and where it needs to be adjusted. He, he or she needs to be a person who is able to approach the head coach, the manager, and identify with that person where a team needs to be strengthened, where a team may be weak, where a team isn't good enough. That's what a director of football should be doing, as well as all the administration work. And I do question whether Stephen has the experience to do that, only that. Because from an administrative point of view, there is nobody better. Yeah, and it goes back to, I think, we, we, had, a, we had a chat about this last week on last week's pod. And like, again, everyone talks very glowingly of Stephen. Um, from what I know of him, he's, a, he's a, a great guy. Only wants the best for the club. 100%. 100%. You know, absolutely. You know, no question marks about that at all. And it's, it's not a personal thing about, about Stephen Gunn. But it's exactly what you just said there, Ali. It's about, you know, for me, a director of football, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree that they have to be, have to have played at the, the highest, highest level. But what I think they do have to have done is have a lot of experience in the roles that feed into the director of football role. I look at somebody, and I touched on it today, I look at someone like Stuart Weber, who's the sporting director at Norwich City. That's a guy who has worked his way through a number of different clubs. So he's got experience of, in different environments as well, which I think is actually quite important. Stephen Gunn, to be fair, has, has only been at Aberdeen Football Club since he left university. So he's been within the Aberdeen Football Club environ 
for his entire working career. And that can be a positive sometimes, but it can also be a negative because it does mean you've never had to work somewhere else, developed, you know, understanding uh, from, from working in different cultures, different clubs, the way they do things, etc. You know, Stuart Weber's a guy who's been director of recruitment, been head of youth, football operations manager, director of football. Head of, head of scouting. Head of yeah. scouting, you know, direct, director of recruitment, I think, at Liverpool. Then worked his way, got a gig as being the director of football at Huddersfield Town. Huddersfield Town at the time with the lowest budget team in, in the championship. And it was under his guidance is when they went to the model of taking, the name is going to totally escape me now, the German coach. Uh, Wagner, David Wagner. Yeah, David Wagner got them promoted up to the Premier League on a shoestring. Then he, he made the move to Norwich City as sporting director there. But that's the guy I look at and I go... Loads of good experience, different environments, different clubs, different cultures, has what it takes. And I saw people today talk about, well, Aberdeen will be at the bottom of the rung when it comes to trying to appoint a director of football. You know, our budgets, et cetera, mean that we're not an attractive role for that. And Gav, you're quite right. Let's not forget that Queen's Park in League One in the Scottish Pyramid have just appointed. Now, he wasn't the sporting director at AZ Alkmaar. He was the sporting performance director at AZ Alkmaar. But a guy with a track record of bringing through youth with a hand in the recruitment philosophy the hand in the football strategy of AZ Alkmaar. Queen's Park were able to attract a guy like that. Anyone that tells me that Aberdeen is still not an attractive club from that perspective for young up-and-coming guys with ambitions in this area are, are, are wrong, frankly. This is still an attractive role to somebody. But as we stand at the moment, it's not a role that's available, so we kind of are where we are. Uh, but I completely agree with Gavin. The, the structure was just all arse about face. To begin with, Ali's right. The, the, the building blocks for this should have been put in place when Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty were here. Let's, let's, let's all be frank. The, the writing was on the wall for Dell and for Tony Doc from the moment Dave Cormack took control of the football club. That was pretty apparent. There was no reason why they couldn't have started to put these building blocks in place at that point and, and work towards that. Get a director of football in the door. If Derek or Tony didn't want to work in that way, I'm sorry, guys. This is how we're. This is what we're. This is what we're doing. It's time to move on. Let the director of football appoint the manager. Let the director of football go off and appoint the head of recruitment and get them all in the door in the right order, so that the the guy who's in the hot seat, who's really going to be the one whose neck is on the chopping block when the results all turn to shit, has got a fighting chance to succeed in that role. And the summer recruitment says a lot. And the fact that January just was as shambolic as it was doesn't help matters. That's where I think things have gone wrong. Gav, you're kind of right. It's kind of gone wrong from the very start. I don't think the manager was given the right tools to necessarily do his job properly, if I'm if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, I think that's all I think that's all fair. It goes back to the point Ali made around, you know, maybe didn't appoint necessarily experienced guys alongside him to help him. And it kind of looks like that just sums up our structure. It's the class, you know, people only get experience by getting an opportunity to do a role, but it doesn't look like the people in the the most important positions in the club actually really necessarily have, as far as I can see, that obvious experience to either A, do it in their own, you know, outright, or, or experience that they can draw upon to help them fulfil the role such that they then build on that themselves. And, you know, lo and behold, five, 10 years down the line, that person's experienced now and everyone's comfortable. It just looks like it's really brand new it's probably it's not a bad idea as such it's just been poorly implemented and I think as you said Gav to an extent 
it was possibly academic who came in to be the manager. It was going to be really difficult because I don't actually think they necessarily had the best chance to be successful. So unfortunately for Stephen Glass, it was him that was the first man in. But it might just be the case that whoever it was was going to have um, suffer for the failures um, that above. So I, I don't think the structure is wrong. I think we should look to continue with it, but it's really quite critical that we maybe make some further changes and get a bit more experience into the club. And I don't mean, it doesn't have to be Aberdeen experience. I agree, you probably do need some guys that know the league quite well, but I think it's just in general, you need solid football experience because if all you've got is Scottish football experience and all you've got is Aberdeen, you're never going to think outside the box and not thinking outside the box hasn't really worked out too well for us for the last few years. So we need to do something different. We just need to get a little bit more experience uh, across the board. So where do we go from here? Can I can I throw a question at you? Because yeah. I've been for all of you, just, just as a general discussion. Do you think we should openly advertise the job? Yes. Why? One, I'm not entirely convinced with the structure as it is at the moment that we'll be casting our net far and wide enough on this one. So I think at least by opening up a general application process, you potentially have a scenario where somebody applies to the job that you've just never considered, never thought of. And when they get the CV lands and style of football and everything lands, it makes it very, very intriguing. My concern is we end up in a closed list scenario, kind of what I imagine happened last time. Okay. Can I throw an argument at you? And this is, again, purely for discussion. Do you think if Aberdeen Football Club openly advertises the head coach's role, that it could potentially send out the wrong message. Because should our football club still be an attractive enough proposition to attract a top coach or a manager to consider becoming the manager of Aberdeen Football Club, who should still have a reputation across Europe as being a top Scottish football club? I see. You don't need to advertise it. We should just be a, a, approaching people. We've it should. I think our club should still be attractive enough for a top coach to come. Because if it isn't, I think we have a bigger issue. I agree with you, Ali, on that point. I completely agree with you. On that. I, I think we should still be a big enough club that we shouldn't have to do this, and we should be able to rely on the fact that we can go after guys and say that's the guy we want, and we're going to get him. My only concern is I just, I, if I'm frank, I don't trust at this moment in time. And this goes back to the question, this goes back to something I think we'll probably come on to about the trust between support and the guys at the very top of the tree. I'm not sure if I trust our process, in inverted commas, to have identified the right guys right now. And so there's always that little bit of me. It's like, I'd like to, by at least opening up to general application, you might get that curveball outside the box real kind of left field applicant who actually suddenly ticks all the boxes and we just would never have considered them because they would never have been on our radar um but i'll throw it to gavin to graham because i'm going to get another beer (laughs) (laughs) i am i will take gary's point first of all i think opening up to applications does allow for the net to be as wide as it possibly can be and we can potentially have a cv land on our door that just makes you blows everyone else out of the water and you've not even considered it 
equally, I will take your point that we should be in a position where we can go about attracting young up and coming managers, perhaps looking for their first managerial gig, perhaps looking for a new change in countries or leagues, maybe just making a step up from working their way up in Scotland or England, not dismissing anyone outright uh, at the moment. Well, that's a lie. I am dismissing a lot of people outright. John <laughs> Terry being one. Um, but yeah, it comes back to the point and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this again. When I say Steve Gunn, this is really by proxy Dave Cormack that I'm targeting this at. I don't really, this is Steve Gunn's first job, first time going about as a director of football and what was briefed in the statement the club released when he was appointed. This falls under his remit. This is his first time appointing a manager or a head coach, identifying someone who's going to come in and help implement a football strategy. And I just don't think he has the experience to do it. And that's the major, major concern. And I think we, I worry we could just end up being a bit narrow-minded, looking very inside the box and appointing once again the wrong man. And I think we can all agree here that the next appointment is just so, so critical. We can't, we can't afford to get it wrong. I'm a little bit, I'm more minded towards Ali's point of view that I like to, and this might just be a sort of nostalgia or romanticising about Aberdeen back in the day. I like to think that Aberdeen are still something and they mean something and word gets out that the manager's gone and rather than us going out to people, people are kicking the door down saying, I can't believe there's a vacancy. I would love the opportunity to manage Aberdeen. And I don't mean guys that, you know, first time out, I mean, guys that see Aberdeen realistically as a stepping stone to something else. But ambitious managers with degrees of experience and maybe some sort of track record of success, that's kind of how I... I can see why you don't want to necessarily shut anything off but ultimately, if you don't go out there and you don't get anything you want, you can still go back and then open it up and advertise it. So to me, maybe it's just being a bit nostalgic. I just think Aberdeen would be an attractive proposition and there'd be good quality applicants just straight away before we actually have to go and do anything. Even let's just go back to kind of base principles here. The structure is going to remain as it is. Yeah, there's absolutely no indication the structure is going to change. So there's going to be steam gun director of football, there'll be uh, Darren Mowbray, head of recruitment, who report up to, to, to Dave Cormack ultimately. So there's no signs the structure is going to change. I, I think that's pretty clear. Does that in some way then potentially rule out a number of candidates straight off the bat? Because there's going to be old school type managers out there who are going to want full control of the football side of things. You know, I'm thinking like a, seen some names I've had thrown around today, like Neil Warnock, for example, or guys <laughs> like this, right? Which is just a crazy shout, but if you're talking about guys from an older generation, even like even a Derek McInnes, Derek I don't would have taken a, a role like that. I think he would want to be in full control of the football operation side of things, which is entirely his prerogative as a manager to decide that's how he wants to run things. It, it probably does rule out a number of older school kind of candidates, doesn't it? Is that a bad thing? I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's a bad or a good thing. I'm just asking. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's generally, you guys have said before, it's generally accepted this structure is what your more successful clubs have. It's a more modern approach. It doesn't necessarily mean it's right, but I'm kind of minded to, there are plenty of examples of clubs where this has worked. Um, so why wouldn't it work for us? We've not done anything, 2014 aside, we've accomplished 
very little. I know we've had some good European results and we've cup finals and stuff, but we've not actually really achieved much tangible the way things were working. So I'm not minded to go back to that. I don't think, I'm not convinced the structure is the issue. Maybe a lot, a little bit of a lack of experience in certain areas across the board, but I would keep what we've got. And if you're ruling these people out, well, so be it. I think we need different ideas and I, I think you're more likely to get them with the, the setup that we have. In terms of where we go from now then, I mean, I think, again, we're waiting on the formal confirmation of it, but it's, 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 it's Barry Robson and Simi. Um, is, is I think what we're all agreeing on the call here is how this is going to go, at least in the short term. Do do we actually think the club will try and make an appointment for a permanent manager between now and the end of the season, or do you think they give Robbo and Simi the run to the end of the season and see what they can do and make a call from there? Barry Robson's a very, very, very well-regarded um, coach at youth level. He's doing a very, very good job with the 18s, which is basically a 16s because of how, how many of our players are out on loan, etc. Um if he comes in and if he does well, is it a potential? This is a job for Barry Robson in the, in the future because I, I could see Rob being a kind of character that if he doesn't get an opportunity at this, I think a team will come and have a, a, a try and pinch Barry Robson at some point. Maybe that's championship level, for example, and he decides he wants to take it because he wants to have a, a bash at it. I'm going to probably be totally naive here and take the view that if they have decided to sack, sack Stephen Glass, they have something that they, are, they have a list or they have sounded out people and they have something in mind. This has been going on for long enough that they must have seen this coming. And I'm taking the view, possibly naively, that they have, they've done what they've done because they have something lined up or a work in progress and they haven't just done this and then decided, oh, yeah, we need to get someone else in. So I'm taking the view that anyone who comes in is to get us through until some... Someone's available. Now, whether that someone's available down the line or, you know, you're just thrashing out T's and C's, I'm going to be naive here probably and take the view that there's there's a plan in place. So, no, they won't get someone in just to sort of take us over. They'll get someone in to last hopefully just a few games until the, the person they've identified can get here. I love your blind optimism, Graham. It's not usually me, but I'm going for it this time. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think... You can't just sack a manager and then think, right, what do we do from here then, chaps? That simply can't happen. So I'm with Graham. I think this has already been thought out. And I think there will, I'm totally with you guys. I think Barry and Simi will be in charge until the, the final points of contractual negotiations are done. The, the crossing of T's, the dotting of I's, for whoever they're going to appoint next is all finalised and put in place. I th- There's no way that the football club have not already thought about that. I, 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 I refuse to believe that. It can't be that shambolic. It's a terrifying prospect. Exactly. You and I are and, way and, off the mark here. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> ju- there's, just, there's just no way that that can happen. That I think that they'll just sack Stephen and think... Okay, well, we'll just, we'll just, Simi's great. Simi, we can chuck Simi and we'll, we'll chuck Bazar in. They can look after the side for a couple of weeks. And while they take care of that, let's have a wee think about who could be our next manager. I, I, no, I don't buy into that at all. Uh, initially, when the news broke, that is pretty much my thinking that Dave Cormack <laughs> was there at Fir Park yesterday. Presumably heard the, uh, the reaction and saw the dollar signs seeping away as a, uh, as the season goes into oblivion. Um, Graham and Ali have convinced me that there must be a plan. 
there must be a plan. Um, but I do think in the interim period, I think Barry Robson and Simi will take over. I suspect they'll get a little bit of a bounce out of the team because I still think the group of players is not as bad as the situation implies. Agreed. And whether that's shifting some people around, um, obviously it's a big blow. Ross McCrory, we've not heard what the situation with him is. I mean, you guys were there. I don't know what the situation... I just heard he went off with a, a heavy strapping around his knee. Looked a bad one. It looked a bad one. I mean, at the time, it looked as though he was going to be... I thought he was going to be stretched off. It looked like a bad one. He was able to walk off. What? Well, not walk off. He was able to walk off around the pitch, strapping on. Looked bad, but didn't need crutches. The, the physio was walking with him with a set of crutches. But who knows? It, 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 didn't, look a, it didn't look like a good one. But I, I imagine... I think you're right. I think we'll probably get a bit of a bounce. I imagine the team will be directed to play in a slightly more direct manner, not long ball type stuff. But I think we won't see the endless sideway passing stuff we've seen in recent weeks. I think they'll be instructed to go a little bit more direct. I suspect we'll go a little bit early days, Derek McInnes, just getting the ball out wide, getting crosses into the box, give Ramirez service here. Exactly. I suspect that's the type of thing we'll, we, I'd expect to see on, on Tuesday night. Ramirez is an interesting name to bring yeah. up, though, because I'm sure we've all seen his tweet um, subsequent to the news that Stephen Glass had been sacked. Yes, yeah, it's quite a simple four-letter word. F star 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 angry emoji. <laughs> yes. So a guy who's obviously not going to be very happy, I'd imagine. It's, it's clear that him and Glass had a very good bond. Glass obviously took him in from the States. Um, yeah, it's difficult for a lot of these guys. I mean, you look at even guys like uh, Bajawin, who's just come in the door. Um, now, whether he's a guy that was identified by recruitment and everything and, you know, how much Stephen Glass had to play in the signing of a guy like him, it's, it's difficult to say. But, yeah, like I say, it's a guy that's just come in the door. Dante Povara, a guy we've not spoken about. He's come in. Um, we've not seen him yet, obviously, because of injury. But again, for him, uh, he must be wondering, you know, what's going on here. This is a guy who at least he maybe had heard about in the States or Bobby Clark will have talked about him. Stephen Glass having the experience in the States, etc. It's it's an unsettling situation, I would imagine, for a lot of these guys who've been brought in in recent weeks. But in terms of the the type of manager who, or the type of first-team coach that we're looking for now, now normally in these types of scenarios, um, after you've taken a risk in an appointment, and Stephen Glass was a risk, let's not pretend otherwise, there would generally be a tendency, I would imagine, for for Dave Cormack, Steve Gunn, etc., to take a slightly more conservative approach a safe pair of hands if you would yeah that would kind of generally be the way these things kind of go is that what we're looking for here or do we still need to be ambitious here and do we need to think outside that box we will keep on talking about i think you do i I, it's not worked the first time out but i think you said a few weeks i think it's a time to be to be bold and decide that we're going to be doing something different different if, if we just um you know if we just decide right that's it it didn't work we're all ter- terrified let's go back to the way it was i don't see how we're ever going to push on so I, I you go bigger you go home i think you've got to go bold and don't just trawl through who's a current manager in scotland and who can see us through i think you've still got to have the longer term ambitions here and i realize that might sound pretty ballsy and a little bit daft but that's where i am um, don't just go for the tried and tested, stick to what you were trying to achieve in the first place with a slight caveat that the manager himself, if he's inexperienced, needs to have a wealth of experience around him that he can draw upon. I go back to my previous statement. I'm not dismissing anyone outright 
Well, apart from John Terry and, well, now you mention it, Malky Mackay. Um, I think, yeah, I think we go ambitious and look for someone that aligns with the quote-unquote philosophy we laid out in the summer. And I would hate for Aberdeen to go down the same kind of route that Scotland went with post-Bertie votes where, okay, we've tried a foreign manager one time, it didn't work, so therefore we're never going to try it ever again, which seems to be the mantra and yeah, there, I think there's got to be young, ambitious coaches out there that can come in and really make a difference in the way we planned for Stephen to to be able to do. We just need to be bold and stick to our guns and see what we can do. Ali, your thoughts? Today, I've been thinking about nothing else <laughs> but who could be our next manager. So I have a list of two, oh. <laughs> because I am being forward thinking and I do have a plan B because I think that is something we touched on earlier that has been missing. What a very, okay. no- what a very novel idea. Now, this is, this is slightly a double-edged sword for me because it, the, the first appointment would have to come with consequences. So bear with me. If... Scotland do not qualify for the World Cup. I think we should target Steve Clark. I can certainly see a merit in that, yeah. Okay. And my second name is somebody who may not be on everybody's radar, but he is most definitely on my radar. And I championed him for the role before Stephen was appointed. And that's Derek Adams. Now, let me fight my argument here, Derek did an unbelievable job at Ross County, a phenomenal job at Ross County. He then went to Plymouth, where he got Plymouth promoted through the playoffs. If I am correct, if my memory serves me correct, I believe he got Plymouth to the playoffs in his first season in charge, but lost the final. And then in the second season, he got them promoted. That sounds familiar. Okay, on a shoestring budget with players of limited ability. He then went to Morecambe, who were bottom of the football league and in dire, dire straits. And within one season, he got them promoted on a next-to-nothing budget with players of very limited ability. He's now at Bradford City, where he's having an up and down season. They're, I think they're 11th. I know they lost yesterday. Yeah. But Derek Adams, for me, is somebody born and bred in Aberdeen, knows the football club inside out, understands our DNA, but first and foremost is an excellent coach and an excellent manager. And I think he could be a good fit. The bookies have got Jack Ross, 3-1 to favourite for the job tonight. Jim Goodwin, second favourite, 4-1 to one at the moment. I mean, I, I think the three of us, Gav, Graham, I, actually, I don't really know Graham's opinion on this, so I'll have to ask, but Jack Ross for me is a no-no. Yeah, agreed. I think it's Derek McInnes. If you order them on wish.com, that's Gavin's line, I think. Can I can I chuck my own in here, just yep. about Jack Ross? I was looking through some of his stats, when he was going through that tough period just before he got sacked, now take take out the Scottish Cup semi-final, but in 10 games, no clean sheets, 
one win in nine top flight games. Yeah. Now, during that time, they had, Hibs had a lack of urgency, a lack of desire, and at the time, a lack of energy. And I think that we have been guilty of exactly the same thing this season. And the last thing I think we need is a coach who's had the same issues at another club. I completely agree. So for me, that's why Jack Ross, for me personally, with the greatest respect to the guy, is not for us. I've stolen your line, Gav, about Jack Ross is dead at McInnes on Wish.com. It's fine. It's shared material. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just not for me. Jim Goodwin's an interesting one. I, I, like, so my view on this one is, I don't want Jim Goodwin because I personally think it's a really lazy appointment. I think it's looking in the league and going, that's a guy who's doing well at a smaller club and he knows the league and blah, 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 and we'll go for him. There are two reasons I don't think it'll work. One, I think St. Mirren will play absolute silly buggers over a compo fee for him, if we even went for it. And two, like I say, I just think it's a lazy decision. It smacks of the kind of Mark McGee kind of syndrome where you just go for a guy who's doing well on our team in the league and that's all you do. Gav, I know you've got a slightly different view on this one. Graham, I don't know what your view on Goodwin is. He's got a good beard. I'll give him that. Excellent beard. So, you know, plus points in that box there. But for me... He's no interest to me. Again, not to belittle his achievements to date and what he's doing. It's just around... The, it's just a lazy, let's just panic and revert to type. Just just don't see that as the, the future for Aberdeen. Um, so n- no interest to me. There's no one currently managing any sort of meaningful level in Scotland that you could attract that appeals to me personally. Listen, I think it's fair to say that St Mirren are currently on the way up. But listen, let's also not forget that they also went on a very long, winless run of 11 games. Now, when they beat us last month, that was only their second league win at home all season. And ironically, their first win at home all season was also (laughs) against us. Um, Now, listen, he's, he's doing a fine job and I fully respect him for that. But can he make Aberdeen any better? Than what we currently are. Um, they've drawn 11 of their games this season, which is more of any premiership side by a long shot, I think, by at least four or five games. So I think he lacks a killer instinct. We need a coach with a killer instinct. Yeah, but I think that's absolutely fair. I guess the only maybe slight caveat to that would be you'd get to work with Ramirez rather than Eamon Brophy. But I think overall your your point's absolutely valid. I just don't see what he was going to bring to the table. He's also signed Curtis Main after <laughs> can Curtis Main play for us. So, you know, that that calls into question a lot of judgment. Uh, he's doing a good job, but I just don't see why that is a reason for him to be linked with Aberdeen. Uh, yeah, he's he's by no means a name that I'm throwing in the hat, but I was not prepared to dismiss him outright in the same way that I would, you know. When I hear the medieval round of Scottish football, I would think Levine, Lennon, Jack Ross. That's the kinds. Goodwin's yeah. done, did very well with Alawa. He's done a very good job at St. Mirren on a very limited budget. He's had issues to deal with. You know, McGrath's been a cloud all season with whatever he's going to be doing. Uh, they lost to centre-back Connor McCarthy, who's a big player. They've reacted well, and yeah, they're. I think they're currently in the top six right now. They are. They've gone on an unbelievable run since the winter break. The logical step for his career in that sense would be a, a bigger club in the SPL. But yeah, he's not my first pick by any means. You see, if we, 
this is where I find this whole merry-go-round quite interesting because we're getting linked with Jim Goodwin. We're getting linked with Jack Ross. So why are we not getting linked with Robbie Nielsen at heart? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that's a good point. Shame. Absolutely valid, yeah. I still don't you want take him. him? <laughs> still don't want him, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Get Craig Levine and his director of football at the same time. If I'm brutally honest, I want a guy to come into to, to Aberdeen Football Club who has got no preconceived notions about what Scottish football is about. I've got no preconceived notions about deferential treatment to the two big teams in Glasgow. But I'll always caveat that with, I'd like him to have somebody somewhere within the coaching staff that gets it and understands what Scottish football is about at the same time, who can who can guide a guy in that direction about what it's going to be like when you go and play Dundee on a October evening at Dens Park under the lights, what it's going to be when you go to play Motherwell at Fir Park in a Scottish Cup fourth round tie, what that's going to be like. You can't necessarily always just want to implement your philosophy and your beliefs on a team where it's not necessarily going to work because you maybe don't have the players to do it. I look at Postacoglu at Celtic and as much as it pains me to praise a manager who's not Aberdeen's manager in the, in the Scottish top flight, let alone a manager from one of those two, that's a guy who's come in and has almost gone, you know what, I don't care about this, that, or the next thing. I don't care about being polite in the press. If the press asks me daft questions, I'm going to bat those questions back with the content that they deserve. Now, yes, he's got money, he's got budget to bring good players in, to implement his style, his philosophy. Let's not pretend, you know, he, he had a rough, rough start at Celtic and there's a lot of people looking at that and going, I don't know if this guy's going to stick it out. I'll be brutally honest, I thought Celtic last Wednesday night, and again, as much as I hate to have to praise them, in that first half, and they never had to even get to a second year in that first half, which is the scary part. I thought that was a better Celtic team than Rodgers had. I thought their movement off the ball, I thought the way they pressed, I thought the way they closed down channels. It wasn't about marking players, it was about marking space. Closing channels and giving our centre-halves and our centre-midfielders nothing to pass to. Nowhere to go. And our movement was terrible, which didn't help matters. The way that he's been able to drill them over now nine months to get them to that sort of place where, let's be honest, Celtic carry on as they are, they're going to scoosh the league. They're going to absolutely walk it from now until May if they carry on the way they're playing at the moment. That's the kind of guy I want to see come into Aberdeen Football Club. Is a guy who has got no respect whatsoever for the established rules of life in Scottish football. But you have to change it. And in a way, people people said about when Postacoglu came in, he was hindered because he had Lennon's backroom team with him. He didn't get to bring in his own staff. He didn't get to bring in his own guys. And people were like, that's a massive, massive issue for him. In a weird way, I wonder if that's actually helped him to an extent. Because he's been able to come in and go, this is what I want to do. But he's also got guys there who can go, right, fair enough, but you have to be aware of X, Y, Z. And we'll work with what you want to do, Ange, but this is what we want. I want to see a guy like that come into Aberdeen Football Club. I, I want a real curveball, left field. It might not work. <laughs> you know, An appointment like this is high risk. But with high risk come high rewards if you get it right. If you get it wrong, then it's you know fucking terrible and we can all point at me later on about it and say you got that massively wrong. And that's fine. But there are going to be guys out there who still would view this as being a huge, huge opportunity and step up from where they are at the moment, potentially. I was going to say, sticking with one of the you know, one of the established names that doesn't necessarily guarantee it's going to work either. Because uh, unfortunately, there's no magic pill to this. If there was, there'd be no managerial merry-go-round because 
everyone will be getting it right and it would all work a treat. So it's a really risky appointment, whoever you appoint, but I'm with you. I'd rather, let's just not stick to the norm. Let's just try and do something different, which I think is what we were trying to do first time out. Here are some of the names I would like to chuck into the mix. And these are, I think they're all potentially achievable targets. And if these guys are not on our shortlist then, or on our, on our radar, then I'd be very disappointed. Kjell Kuntzen at Bodo Glimt. He's led them to the Norwegian title for the last two years in the trot. That's a guy with an impressive looking CV. He plays the kind of football that we're looking to implement. Scandinavian, so it's not you know a huge, huge leap away from the type of football that we play in the UK. That's what I'd be looking at. Kim Bergström, Tom Lagerlof, they're the co-managers at Your Gardens in Sweden. Again, these are experienced, experienced managers, led Your Gardens into the kind of third spot in the Alston scan last couple of years. Jean Dal Thomason, somebody threw this out to me today, left Malmo having won the Swedish League last year. I reckon he's probably unachievable because I think the reason he left Malmo was because his family wouldn't move to Den- uh, wouldn't move to Sweden from Holland. Now, whether they'd move to Aberdeen, who knows? But that's a guy with a track record, one one leagues now, top level player as well, comes with a reputation that could be useful for attracting players. Also knows how to wind up a certain team in Glasgow. So, you know, comes with double points. Here's a curve, Rob Edwards, Forest Green Rovers. That's a team who are absolutely flying. League two, 11 points clear of uh, their nearest team down there. Play good football. Be a step up for him from a financial perspective with nothing else. There's there's guys out there, I think, who are who are attractive, who are achievable, and they are not Jim Goodwin. To be honest, when I saw the name Rob Edwards the first time, I thought that was a clogger that plays centre-half for Dundee United, but this would be a real, uh, <laughs> be a real curveball. That would be a real left-field appointment right there. People wouldn't know what's coming at them. Um, interesting names um yeah like i say just don't have all the answers don't have a name to put out there right now that will come in with a magic wand but um just cast the net let's look let's take a look elsewhere and just be really ambitious and forward thinking with this appointment and don't listen to Aberdeen twitter because the last time anyone appoints like the popular appointment it never works out in all seriousness though it's a huge huge appointment for Dave Cormack here, isn't it? Graham will remember exactly what he said better than I, perhaps, but Graham spoke last week about apathy mm-hmm. becoming a real, almost like a, a dark cloud over the club. And as Ali's mentioned, the support losing faith with the board is a reality. Um, and you can feel it. You can see it from the fraction of the support we interact with on Twitter. You can hear it and see it in the vitriol that was dished out to the players yesterday as they went back to the to the changing rooms. It's critical for establishing that faith again. It's something that we managed to get right when we hired Derek McInnes for the first couple of years. And likewise, we need someone to just come in and galvanize the club, much in the same way that he did um, in those first few years that he was here. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything to add. It's, it's a really, it's a tough appointment. It's obviously, regardless of who is selected, some people will be pleased, some people won't. That's just the nature of it. I just hope whoever whoever is appointed, I hope there's a little bit more from the club around maybe what we're actually trying to achieve longer term and therefore why this candidate has been selected. Because I don't really I don't accept that there was the open process that we're we're told there was for the appointment of Stephen Glass. I'd rather the club just come out and say, This is the ambition, this is what we were trying to do. 
And the reason we have selected this individual or this group of individuals is because they've done it before and we're confident they can achieve it to Aberdeen. Now, I don't necessarily need to like the style or whatever we're trying to implement. Like I've said to you guys millions of times, how it looks on the pitch doesn't really put me up and down to the same degree as most people, as well as he's winning. So tell us what you're trying to achieve and how you're trying to achieve that. And then we can take it from there. Just be a little bit more open around how these people get into the job when they get it. Ali, just before we come to you, Graham, you made a really good point there though, right? See if, see if when Stephen Glass was appointed, right? See if the club had just turned around and said, look, we um, have been looking at succession planning for quite some time. Um, you know, Derek and Tony had, had made it clear, I think, at the point that they, they thought they were going to leave in the summer anyway. So we've been looking at it for some time due to the strategic links with Atlanta. We've identified that Stephen Glass is potentially a really good candidate for this role. We're going to give him a, effectively, we're going to give him a bash at it. This is, you know, it's part of our strategic relationship, yada, yada, yada. I think people would have probably given the board a little bit more leeway around this than, let's call it what it is, to, to turn around and try and pretend otherwise to the support and try and, you know, it, it smacks of trying to pretend that the support buttons up at the back of the head to try and say that there was a thorough process and that Stephen happened to be the the best candidate that applied for the job. I mean, we've spoken about it before. Stephen Glass's CV on arrival, probably wouldn't see him get a job at another Scottish top flight club. Well, well the slight caveat, if, if he had arrived, but as Ali mentioned earlier, with a respected, experienced of course. backroom, then I, that would have been a different scenario because you'd be looking at it and saying, well, yeah, he's inexperienced, but look at all of that that he's got around him. Yeah. He's clearly going to be the man, and you know, it's his name in the door, but look at the guys that are actually going to be helping him. Yeah. When effectively a whole rookie management team arrives, I think it's a little bit difficult to swallow personally, and it just kind of felt like, yeah, don't, don't treat people like idiots. Just uh, where you can, just try and explain what it is the the hierarchy of the club want to achieve and why this recruitment process take place you know and why we've ended up where we end up i feel like that would go some way to repairing some of the damage again you're never going to please everyone but that's life but at least it's a start absolutely ali so yeah your thoughts ali just on how critical an appointment is it not just for the club but for i guess the man at the top as well right now it's i can't i can't begin to tell you how important this next appointment is because as i mentioned earlier we are on the cusp of getting pulled into a relegation dogfight and we need somebody who is going to be able to take not just the group of players but the football club by the scruff of its neck give it a shake and take us forward i think first and foremost we have to finish the season as strongly as we possibly can We have to get the support believing in the ideas, how we want to play football, the way that we want to go forward. It's, it's, honestly, it's absolutely critical that we get this right. I'm sitting here rubbing my head, thinking to myself, we've just got to get it right. Not we, they have got to get it right. Because I I have the fear. I really do. And I'm, I'm worried about, what potentially could happen to us. But I also think that no matter how important the next appointment as the football manager is, I also think that the players themselves have to take a huge amount of responsibility for Stephen's sacking. 
I think they have underachieved. I think there has been a lack of desire. I think there's been a lack of energy. And the fact that we got bullied out of the game against Motherwell, for me, is an issue. It's a problem. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that we've been bullied three times. They have to take a long, hard look at themselves. And it's only them, with the help of a new manager, who will obviously galvanise the club and galvanise them. That will happen naturally. But at the end of the day, it's the players that go out on the pitch. They have to show us what it means to play for Aberdeen. They have to win back our trust. They have to win back our faith. There's so much at stake in the next two to three months. I hope I'm correct in my calculations here, but I think we've got 13 games left. We've got 13 games to either get as high as we can up that league and push for a European spot, or we're going to get dragged right in. And if we get dragged in, I have the fear that at the moment, we don't have the personnel at that football club to, to get us out of it. And that is my biggest concern. And you've just led me to a very concerning thought, which is an Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock relegation playoff match. Don't, don't. So there I, you go. I, as, much as, I'm, as much as I'm worried, I think we are good enough to get out of this and to really push ourselves for this European spot because I do believe that we have the players who are capable of getting us out of, out of these issues. But there has to be bravery. And there has to be bravery like they've never seen it before because if they don't show it, then we're in trouble. I think um, I would just make a tiny point here as well. Like When we go back to Christian Ramirez, clearly not happy that glasses inside i've never i can't think of ever seeing a reaction from a footballer like that on social media when a manager um is dismissed me neither i think you can probably safely say that ramirez came here obviously to play for aberdeen but i think he came principally to play for Stephen glass and i get if he's upset but in the unlikely event he listens to this podcast we need christian ramirez in these next 13 games he is so pivotal so we just need everyone to just get together do what they need to do and just get us out of this mess. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it could be in a really weird way. Barry Robson might be the ideal guy right now, actually, to, to step in. That's a guy with a lot of fire, a lot of desire. He's not going to allow his teams to be bullied. He's not going to allow his teams to go down without a fight. We all know what Barry Robson was like as a footballer. Could be the right guy, actually, to just galvanise, get us hopefully up towards that fourth spot. I think third is gone now. I think third is a, a pipe dream. Fourth is more than achievable. Starts on Tuesday night. Ali Beck, that's a wonderfully depressing way to bring you back into the ABC <laughs> FP fold. Um, on a positive note, when you're back in Aberdeen, and let's talk about the uh, quickly. Let's 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 give you a plug for the Paul Mason Tall Tio Schnelder's evening at Pataudry. Yeah, back in back in at the beginning of April for that gig at the at Pataudry. We're going to hold it at Pataudry, and if it's half as good as the Ian Jess gig um, a couple of weeks ago, we should be in for another fantastic night. And the the Ian Jess gig was one of the best nights of my life. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, spent the whole day with him. Spent the whole day with him on Saturday after the game had called off. And just had the best time. And it, what made it really special was his reception that night. The, the 520 people that were inside that room 
just made it so special and it's something I will never forget. And if we can create that again for Theo and Paul in April, we really will be in for a very special night. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope we sell it out again and um, we have another fantastic night. Looking forward to it. Yeah, the Ian Jess night was fantastic. Hopefully, uh, I'm sure everyone can go on Ali's Twitter feed for details on tickets and all that kind of good stuff. It'll be a good night in, in April. Theo and Paul are, are great, great crack. Theo's photographic memory is something to behold. Um, so it'll be, a, it'll be a good evening, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And of course, these guys, part of the squad that won Scottish Cup for the very last time for Aberdeen, uh, obviously after, well, it'll be another year anyway until somebody gets their hands on it for, for Aberdeen. Ali, thank you very much for joining us. We'll let you uh, go and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Cheers, Ali. In other news from Pathology this week, on the women's side, Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's side returned to face Spartans in the Scottish Cup fourth round at the Balmoral. And it was a cliffhanger in Cove that saw the women eventually come through by four goals to two. The Dons naming an unchanged starting eleven from the side that beat Hibs last time out. And it was a bright start by the visitors with chances for Galbraith and Clellan going begging. And it was the Dons who took the lead on 11 minutes. Donna Patterson nodding home her first goal since her return in the summer from a Chloe Gover corner. The visitors responding in good fashion. Galbraith's header from a corner drifting over before another corner in 22 minutes yielded the equaliser. Smart's header coming up in off the bar after a fine cross from McMahon. Vincent Kennedy? Doubt it. Three minutes later, Spartans had the lead through Galbraith who squeezed home her shot from a tight Angle. The Dons rallied, and just six minutes later, the equaliser arrived, courtesy of Francesca Ogilvy, who tapped home a Bailey Collins cross, and that's how it stayed until half time. An early chance for Spartans came and went in the second half. McQuillan's shot well held by Meach in the Aberdeen goal, and then the game became bogged down into a typical cup tie. End to end action with Spartans coming close again on the hour mark. A fine ball in by Marshall from a corner kick flashing right across the goal with no takers. Meach then had to react well again to pull off a great stop from Smart on 63 minutes. And Spartans could have won it on 86. Meach again saving well, this time from Mason, having been played through by Galbraith. But then it all swung Aberdeen's way. Ailey Shore putting Aberdeen ahead in the 89th minute. Fine play between her and Bailey Hutchison saw Shore converting Hutchison's cross before Hutchison herself wrapped things up in the fourth minute of added time to see the Dons into the next round of the Cup. Good to see one Aberdeen team, at least, progressing in the Cup this weekend. And next week, it's a visit to Glasgow City in SWPL1. And the young team, Barry Robson's team, pulled off a sensational comeback win at Rugby Park in the Cass Under-18 League. A win made even more impressive given the level of youth on the park for the Dons with Liam Harvey, Finlay Murray and Dylan Lobbin all missing out due to their involvement with the Scotland under-17s, meaning Tyler Mason and Kai Watson came into the side, joined by Alfie Stewart making his debut. A horrendous start for the Dons, Leslie putting the home side a goal up after just two minutes, and their lead was doubled just three minutes later, Kirkpatrick scoring from the spot. The Dons got themselves back into the game on 36 minutes. Emsley shot, spilled by the keeper, and Cammy Wilson was quickest to react to force home the rebound for the 15-year-old's first goal at under-18 level. And into the second half, it was the Dons who made a fast start this time out. Alfie Babbage knocking in Emsley's cross after 20 seconds of the restart to level things up. And the young team took the lead on 71 minutes. Alfie Stewart on his debut, curling a fine shot past the goalkeeper to complete the turner. The fantastic result 
for Robson's side, which to all intents and purposes was an under-16 side. And the promising work of Robson with the 18s continues. And on to Lone Watch, Luke Turner started and played the full, twi- uh, full 20 minutes, Northern Irish League, obviously <laughs> running his shorter segments than anybody else. It wasn't the Norwich Irish Cup, was it? <laughs> it was the Norwich Irish Premiership. Luke Turner started and played the full 90, but no sign of Mark Gallagher as Cliftonville beat Coleraine by two goals to nil in the Norwich, sorry, Northern Irish Premiership. Tom Ritchie suffered a serious injury in training this week, so he's out for the foreseeable future, wishing him the very, very best in his recovery. Presumably that means his loan spell at Huntley has been cut short. Elsewhere, Kieran Nguyenia lasted the full 90 for Kelty Hearts as they were knocked out of the Scottish Cup at St Mirren. The Buddies running out 4-0 winners over the League 2 side. Evan Towler played the full 90 as Elga City went down by two goals to one at Stranraer. Kevin Hanratty, an unused sub for Elgin in this one. Mason Hancock got another 90 minutes under his belt as Sterling Albion were beaten by one goal to nil by Edinburgh City on Friday night. Ryan Duncan's Peter Head host Dundee on Monday evening in the Scottish Cup, so that one misses this editorial deadline. And finally, Dean Campbell started and played the first half as Kilmarnock eventually saw out the firm athletic by two goals to one in the championship. And so... That wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break, where we'll preview our upcoming doubleheader against St. Johnston and Motherwell. To play us out this half, here's the Ghost Tape with their track, When Matches Fail. Check out the guys over on Facebook at The Ghost Tape or on Twitter at The Underscore Ghost Tape. They're also live at Blue Lamp in Aberdeen this coming Saturday. That's the 19th of February. And you can check out their material on Spotify or Bandcamp, theghosttape.bandcamp. Here's the ghost tape with When Matches Fail. Manipulate a mo- 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Anderson Quantity Surveying. Got your building warrant and planning permission in place? Great! AQS's cost management service can be used throughout the lifetime of your project, providing you with the tools to review and certify contractor payments, variations and final accounts. With AQS's technical and cost management expertise, this service is almost certain to save you money. But don't just ask us, on previous jobs AQS have saved their clients tens of thousands of pounds with this service. To find out more, give AQS a call on 01224 502 550 or email gary at andersonqs.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Time now to look ahead to this week's league doubleheader at St Johnston visit Pataudry on Tuesday night. And we return to Fir Park on Saturday. So obviously the St Johnston match is rearranged from Storm Malik, I think. Arwen Malik. One of them. Corey, not quite sure. And return to the scene of crime on Saturday at Fir Park. Obviously none of us are returning to the scene of the crime on Friday because, you know, we've got better things to do with our time. Tuesday night, what are we expecting? Obviously, at the moment, as we go into this, this is Sunday night, we're recording this, still not been confirmed by anybody at the club, but it's going to be Barry Robson and Neil Simpson in the dugout unless something changes drastically between now and Tuesday. A huge, huge, huge fixture for us in terms of our run towards the end of the season. I think I'm just going to go back to the point I made earlier that we're in the current form that we're in, we are a Dundee or a St. Johnston away. A Dundee or St. Johnston getting their act together away from being dragged into a real relegation battle. So with that being said, yeah, it's it's a six-pointer. Too strong a term to use. I'm not really sure it is. I think this is a crucial game just to get ourselves away from that dreaded relegation battle. And yeah, kickstart the season, make the most of the last 13 games and yeah, massive match for us. Yeah, I don't think I've got much more to add. I mean, they're, they're 10 points behind, which, you know, their, their season's rank and ours has not been up to much yet. What are we, honours even, basically, with the two games to date? A win each, yeah. yeah. I think it's really, really important that we let's knock aspirations of fourth on the head, whatever. We just need to pull clear 
Uh, therefore, I think it's just critical that we can get the three points. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out because I would question what can change in a relatively short period of time. And if something does change, that's either really poor reflect. Well, it's a poor reflection on the manager and the players, basically, because if all of a sudden they could just turn up and start zipping the ball around and we go back them two, three nil, where the hell has that been? So we need we need to get we need to get the three points, but I'm not quite sure how we're actually going to do that based on uh, form. Well, it's our game in hand, isn't it? As things stand at the moment against the teams in fourth and fifth spot at the moment, that's Dundee United, Motherwell. So a win on Tuesday night would bring us to 32 points. That would uh, bring us above St Mirren in the table on goal difference. Any sort of victory will do that. It would leave us a point off of United in fourth, Motherwell, and who are in fifth but tied on points in 33. It would give us a real shot in the arm, I think, in terms of our aspirations to come into a European spot uh, at the back end of the season if we can pick up a win on Tuesday night. But absolutely, Gav, you're completely right. The, the contrary is true in a way as well. A defeat would uh, move St. John's up to 22 points. As, we, uh, as we're recording, it's just been announced by the club. Confirmed that it has now put in place an interim coaching team to oversee first-team affairs until a new manager is appointed. That being led by Barry Robson, the coaching team will comprise Neil Simpson, Scott Anderson, and Scott Brown. So there we go then. Excellent. Who may I ask is Scott Anderson? He's head of the youth setup, I think. Is that not Gavin? Or he's one of the youth coaches, or he's he's like Barry Robson's assistant at 18s level. Okay, okay. Can't recall. Um, anyway, Barry Robson, confirmed, as we've said all along, he'll be the guy leading the team in on uh, Tuesday evening. So, yeah, a huge, huge game, because, I mean, as we say, a win leaves us a point off a fourth, but a win for St. Johnston, and suddenly we're really starting to look over our shoulders a little bit. They'd only be seven points, I think, off of us. At that point, Dundee, I think, have got a game as well to catch up on. Huge, a huge game. I thought Saturday was our season, kind of to an extent, but in a really weird way, a Tuesday night almost is is just as critical in a roundabout way now after being dumped out of the cup. I think we all thought Saturday was our season because we were probably still hoping that, you know, looking at it glass half full, we'd get through and we could if we can't kick on at least we're still at least we're still in the cup and things just drag on a little bit now that that option's not on the table yeah Tuesday is massive now because a win and we're by no means out of the woods but clearly you're in better shape than you were a loss then uh, it's just really worrying like a win takes us 13 points clear of St Johnston and I think that would be I think that would be insurmountable certainly for them to take over um, but yeah, defeat and if Dundee, I presume Dundee, as you say, they've got a game in hand as well, are presumably playing on the same night, which they are not. But they have they have a game in hand the week after, home to St Mirren. Yeah, there you go. So clearly, you know, a defeat for ourselves, a win for Dundee, coming off the back of a, a good win at Hearts for themselves. It really that that's what that would make it five points from the relegation playoffs, and that's just a little bit too uncomfortable for my liking. So yeah. Once again, enormous game. Really, something we need to go and attack and we need to win. Definitely, completely agree. I mean, St. Johnston have still been in just absolutely rank form since even the 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 uh, the winter break again. 
they're currently sitting at one win in the last five. They finally got that win at uh, Livingston um, before we played Livy, obviously, the other week. But yeah, St. Johnston really, really struggling. They've brought in a huge amount of players over the January window. Calm Henry has uh, come back in and has kind of hit the ground running. So we all know what that's going to mean um, come Tuesday evening. Still not quite up there yet as top scorer. That's uh, Chris Kane on three, Calm Henry with two at the moment. So uh, the same issues before St. Johnston is when we spoke about them before Christmas. Just you must be confused. Surely Stevie May is on double figures now. Um, Stevie May is not on double figures, mate. I'm, af- I'm afraid uh, Stevie May uh, has scored two. Does he even have double figures in terms of appearances? I think he does. I think he does, in fairness to Stevie May. Huge game. Um, now it's been confirmed as we're recording that it's Barry Robson who is in charge. I think we've all said, I think we're expecting maybe a little bit more direct in our approach, potentially a little bit more up and at them. I'm hoping for a lot of fine and bellies and a lot of all that kind of good stuff and a bit more, I don't know, Tim Sherwood, fag and passion. I will not, I will not be having the name of Barry Robson besmirched by connecting it to Tim Sherwood. Um, I think it'll be in some way a reflection of Barry Robson's personality as a player and there'll be a little bit more aggression and a bit more dig and a bit more being on the front foot. Um, that's what I expect. And like I said, when talk with Ali, it wouldn't shock me if we play maybe Matty Kennedy on one wing, Bajawin on the other, get balls out wide, try and get balls in the box and just, you know, make it uncomfortable St. Johnston, not pass it around in front of them and let them just sit in and wait for us to fuck up so that they can then hit us on the break, as I believe they did earlier this season, if yeah, I recall they correctly. Did. They did. Uh, big, big game for Barry Robson. Let's, it's, it's his opportunity to shine here, isn't it? He's got a glowing reputation. We just spoke about it with Ali Begg and everything. He's got a, a really good reputation at this at, at youth level for what he does. A lot of guys we've spoken to uh, on the pod as well, the guys like Willow Flood, Adam Rooney in recent weeks. Uh, Mark Reynolds as well have all indicated that what they've heard as well on the grapevine is that Barry's got a lot of the attributes that it might take to become a top coach and a top manager in the game. He's going to have an eye, I would imagine, on this job on a full-time basis, surely. I'm surprised that no one at championship level has taken yeah. a punt on Robson yet. Maybe they have and they've, he's decided it's not right for him at that time. I think there was some chat about Falkirk when yeah. Sheeran, or maybe when Sheeran got sacked or prior to that, but... You know, he might have eyes on Aberdeen. He might have eyes elsewhere and recognise this as a almost an audition for what he can be uh, as a first-team coach. So, yeah, big game for him, no doubt. He's done some incredible work with the 18s, given the limitations in terms of choices he's got uh, with all the players out on loan and international duty injuries, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think we all wish him the best and we just want to see a three points return to Pataudry. This is an audio-only podcast, but Graham is nodding his head, so I think he agrees with me. Yeah, there we go. In a way, Tuesday will probably kind of take care of itself, won't it? In a really weird way. These these kind of fixtures generally tend to when managers have been binned off. Huge. Uh, are there questions here in all seriousness about first-team personnel and who should start the game? There were some pretty ugly scenes, is a polite way to put it, at the back end of the game on Saturday. There's been some... Um, social media posts which have been unhelpful I think it's fair to suggest by people connected to first team players in the last 24 hours are there question marks about guys that should be starting the game on Tuesday night yeah 
Certainly. Um, as I'm talking now, I can't quite put the pieces together. Um, Ross McCrory presumably is going to be unavailable. McCrory will be out. There's absolutely no way McCrory plays after the way he left for part. So you'll imagine, I mean, I think when you refer to these unsavory scenes, the, there were two names that I saw cropping up. Um, that, those being Declan Gallagher and Lewis Ferguson. Um, the scenes at the end of the game, I mean, I've seen some people say that they shouldn't be giving things back when they're getting abused like that. I, I challenge anyone in any environment, if you're getting that level of abuse, not to give something back. Um, I don't really buy into this idea that if you... It's this, this is probably an unpopular opinion amongst sports, but I don't buy into this opinion that you pay the price of a football ticket and you can just then shout anything at anyone you want. So I, I don't think it's hugely helpful. I think Lewis Ferguson... I think Lewis Ferguson's a very easy target. Um, like he's done as well as anyone this season, really. I don't disagree on that front, but then... You know, you see the post from Lewis Ferguson's girlfriend this afternoon on Instagram. Does does that does that shape a decision? Does that shape a management's a manager's view about whether this is the right time to put this guy in? I've not seen that, so I'm not sure what that's exactly referring to. So um, there was a, a post I'll put it on there, a picture of Lewis Ferguson's dog. Um, I don't know the dog's name, so I'll just use the name Rex. Bobby. Rex, I like it. And it was a picture of the dog in the car, and it basically says what. Rex doesn't want to go back to shitty Aberdeen or something of that ilk. Yeah, that's it's not helpful. Um, it's, it's times like this, I'm always just like, what are people doing? Why do you do this? I just don't understand this. I know, I know. Um, at the same time, that's also, that's not Lewis Ferguson. That's Lewis Ferguson's girlfriend. Agreed, but you know what it does to, don't you, mate? Well, yeah, it's it's the same chat we've had, but yeah, this goes back to the summer transfer window and all the things his dad said on that podcast open goal yeah that was called yeah um that wasn't me being trying to flip i just generally forgot what it was called there for a second um i've not seen a lack of effort from lewis bergson this season neither, neither have i i think that for decent chunks of the season he's been decent there's been times where he's not shown up but you can level that at pretty much the entire squad as well that's not you know he's not on his own as far as that's concerned um I just think we're limited for options right now. Certainly in some positions. And I think Declan Gallagher will play effectively out of necessity uh, with David Bates. Presumably Ramsey will come back in. Um, It wouldn't shock me if it's maybe McKenzie. Seems to be back up to fitness. Kelsey came on a half time, played left back. And yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll get a lot of the same faces. I think I suspect we'll have Brown, Ferguson and Jenks in the middle. To give us as much energy, and I don't think I don't think we'll be prepared to drop Brown no. for this. Obviously, Scott Brown's now playing a part in the coaching staff, which is heard. I think he'll be pretty adamant that he's in the team. And like I say, I wouldn't be surprised if it's pace on the flanks and just trying to get crosses into the box for for Ramirez to attack. The Benin just wonder about whether Connor Barron gets a shot. Uh, Robson will know Barron obviously from through the youth setup very very well. He impressed when he came on the pitch, Graham, for the last. 10 minutes. It was a really short sample size, but he was the one that looked like it was a big deal to him. Uh, and by yeah. that, I mean, you know, he just looked like um, the season's pro that was trying to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He looked pretty, he's quite little, but he looked really quite tidy on the ball. I think it might be a bit wild to chuck him in at the start, given what's at stake, but I'd be quite content to see him get more than a little five, 10 minute 
token cameo, it looked like he could be uh, he could be useful. You're absolutely right. He's now got presumably the trust of a, a coach that knows him well, um, and that that's going to surely help his cause. Uh, and you know, there's an argument to it's generally speaking not worked with the current set of players. I don't include him in that because he's only been recalled recently, and you know, Saturday aside, never been anywhere near the team. So maybe you do need to mix it up. Um, I just think it might be a bit bit much to put him on from the start. It would be a bold move to start him. And that's not a move I'd put past someone like Barry Robson. So we'll see what happens. Put this one to you. What do you think someone like Barry Robson thinks when he sees someone like Jet? Uh, I would imagine it probably tips Barry Robson towards having an aneurysm, I would imagine. <laughs> Although, right, Jet did okay when he came on on Saturday. Graham, did Jet do okay when he came on on Saturday? His first pass was pretty tidy. I can't remember, maybe Kennedy didn't quite go on to it. A couple of tidy passes, but 1,000%, we're in the trenches. You do not need a man like Jet in your team. I'm Jet. sorry. The guy has got all the ability in the world, so it's not that he's you know, incapable of playing this level. That There's just a guy you cannot rely on. If Stephen Glass... If we're assuming his, it doesn't matter if he was his signing or not, he's been in and around the team at the start and has been proven to, to offer nothing. There's no way he fits the mould of what Barry Robson is going to tolerate in an Aberdeen jersey. Oh, so I'm not going to lie. Jet hat trick plays 90 minutes. Looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's the uh, ABZFP's inaugural fives game on Thursday evening. I'm not going to give away the location. We don't want a, a capacity crowd watching, but. I suspect there's a very good chance I'll be playing the jet role. I'll be standing about 20 yards from goal, <laughs> directing traffic. No, you'll be standing 20 yards from goal, breathing out your arse, telling people what to do, but you won't have the skills to back it up. <laughs> All entirely true. Uh, predictions for Tuesday night at St. Johnston. I have got a feeling that Bayer Robson is going to get a real bounce out with the current team and I think a, we're going to win Barry bounce. I like it that sounds like something that happens at Ibrox <laughs> yeah it does doesn't it oh no if that's what floats your boat then that's what floats your boat uh, 2-0 Aberdeen goals from uh, Vicente Bajelan is going to get his first for the club and Ramirez is going to get one it's a bold move saying we're going to get a clean sheet if Gary Woodson goes by the way Maybe your man Samsonite. Uh, Craig Samson, why the hell not? Yeah, at this point. I did see a, a really good tweet about this yesterday. It was just a picture of uh, Gary Woods and Samson coming down the stairs. And it was just like, if you told me five years ago that we'd be going in a Scottish Cup tie with Gary Woods and goals and Craig Samson as the goalkeeper at the back of the goalkeeper on the bench, I'd assumed some sort of administration had happened. Just why did we have two keepers on the bench? <laughs> I've got no idea. I can only presume it was a case of we don't know if Craig Sampson can cut it. So how is he going to say it had happened? How is he going to find that out by putting Sampson on, realising he couldn't, and then put Chingler on? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Either that or it was like, we're so unlucky with keepers just now, we'll put two on just in case. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real belt and braces approach, isn't it? There was a whole weird thing about substitutions on at the weekend and the various permutations where you could put like up to 10 subs on, but... I'm yeah, not sure you could do. I'm not sure you could do two goalkeepers at one time. I want to get like 
some kind of runny keeps kind of situation. Well, we're going to sub Sam's night in to play alongside Gary Woods. Maybe just try and shore things up at the back. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I really want to get my hands on, I think this is a true collector's item, uh, a number 23 Craig Sampson player issue <laughs> shirt. It's not match worn, obviously, because he didn't get on, but there will be an Aberdeen goalkeeper top with Sampson 23 printed. That right there is a collector's item. Look at look for that coming on the on the ABZFP raffle prize in the near future. Uh, joking aside, please please let Joe Lewis be available. Yeah, we've not really we didn't really touch on it in the in the Motherwell review. Um, oh, we don't need to talk about it. Everyone can see it. Yeah. <laughs> and again, anyone that was championing Gary Woods earlier in the season, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give a shout out for this to the guy. Um, fit my daddy i can't remember his handle on twitter but he basically went through last night just going finding all the people who when gary would signed a two-year deal who were going and be like great bit of business lads great bit of business just calling them out for all their posts like about eight uh, nine months ago it was a glorious piece of retrospective tweeting to be fair to him he did keep us in the game on saturday in the second ah. half he made a couple of good saves if it wasn't for him we wouldn't have been two one down so we'd have fucked it up somewhere else so the saves, as you you agree with my point of view, then his saves were pointless anyway. <laughs> no, well, he's he did a decent job in the second half for some of the saves, but someone oh. else would have made a mistake, would have crumbled. Did he? I mean, to be fair, Van Veen just hit them straight at him. They basically hit off him. Still got to be there in a the way. Uh, this is true. <laughs> um, Graham, you're not giving us a prediction for Tuesday night. Uh. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. One all. Ramirez to score them both. Uh, I'm going to go with Gav. I'm, I'm going to go with a, a Barry Robson bounce. 3-0 Aberdeen. Bajowin, David Bates. Lewis Ferguson, who will then do like a dog celebration. Lewis Ferguson to break out Mark Kerr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Mark Kerr, the point to the shirt and they get it right up here in a 2-1 <laughs> home defeat to Kilmarnock. <laughs> On a sort of final side note to that, I don't really understand grown-ups abusing people and then shitting their pants when someone does something back it's, uh, yeah it's really quite embarrassing if you're gonna if you're gonna dish it out these guys are they don't really have to they shouldn't take a lot of the stuff they take but they they do take a lot without complaining i don't really have any problems with someone who's getting that level having to go back personally there's a line isn't there you know as a professional football you have to deal with you're going to get some stick if results don't go. Yeah, and I think they have had some stick and they haven't reacted, so I don't have a problem with it. There's a point in which the stick becomes over the top and becomes way more personal than it needs to be. Um, we're probably not going to make ourselves very popular with a, a, a fringe of Aberdeen supporters for saying that, but, you know, it's true. You know, listen to a lot of the guys who've interviewed, you know, um, this is a job for most of these guys. It's they don't arrive at Aberdeen Football Club being Aberdeen fans. They some of them leave as Aberdeen fans after the back of being here. Um, Mark Reynolds will, will he'll be in next week's episode now, but that's a guy who's a born and bred Motherwell fan, but will now admit that Aberdeen are pretty much his club. But it does happen. It, it does. People do turn around, but a lot of these guys, this is not their football club. This is not who they support. They're here to pick up a salary to do a job. And then, you know, they'll, they'll move on at some point. Um, they don't have the same, they don't have the same level of feeling about it as supporters do. 
to an extent. Yeah, which isn't to say they don't care. It just doesn't yeah, mean just exactly. doesn't mean the same as any of us think. But having said that, what I think it would mean to me now uh, might be totally different if I was out there with a couple of thousand people telling me I'm shy. I might not feel the same way about it as I do right now sitting here. So I'll wait till Thursday night when I'm telling you you're shite. So you know, I don't. I don't mind because I I can't accept it from you. <laughs> from someone who knows what they're doing, fair enough. I might be a little bit concerned, but I I just can't accept it from you. I think the point I was trying to make with regards to Ferguson and his efforts and everything that's gone, the baggage, shall we call it, that's gone with Lewis Ferguson this season. I've never seen a lack of effort from him on the pitch. And I can just think of a couple of occasions this season when I've the game is finished. We've either lost, we've been, you know, we've won, we've drawn, whatever. And Dean Campbell has walked straight off the pitch. He doesn't come to the red shed. Yeah. If Lewis Ferguson did that, it would be a very the reaction would be a very different story. I like Graham. I don't care what people players do at the end of the game, to be quite frank. It's what they do on the pitch and yeah, I don't think, personally speaking, I don't think Lewis Ferguson deserves the, the level of vitriol that was directed at him on uh, on Saturday. Indeed. Uh, Motherwell next Saturday. Uh, I, I almost don't want to talk about it because I, we know exactly what's going to happen, don't we? And this, this is not advice, but, you know, just round up all your savings and all your friends' savings and get on Van Veen to score. I, I, <laughs> We're talking earlier on about like potential managers in a previous life, and who knows, maybe in this life. Get your money on Graham Alexander being the next Aberdeen manager and Kevin Van Veen <laughs> being his first signing in the summer. Um, Saturday's just going to be exactly what it was Saturday past. We're going to have to seriously find some nuts out of nowhere to, to deal with this. Motherwell have got the formula to beat us. And they've, that's why they've done it three times. And yeah, we, whether, I mean, the, the statement that is mentioned, it's an interim coaching team. So we'll see what that exactly means in terms of time that they have with the, with the team. But whoever it is that's in charge just needs to find a way to get this group of players ready and prepared for, for that battle. Um, that's, that's, that's the, the number one task because Motherwell will just make it physical, make it niggly. And we need to be able to, to counteract that. Yeah, I think the only probably point I'd make to what you said is you say Motherwell have got the formula to beat us. It's not like it's a well-kept secret that no one else in the league has got. Everyone has the formula. But you're absolutely right. Motherwell Rangers. <laughs> Motherwell have basically not differed in their approach. Rangers fans piling on today, by the way, but they don't care about us. Let's just make a yeah, I enjoyed note, that. note about that. Very much enjoyed that. Fucking idiots. So, yeah, to, to Saturday... In a way, and it's a bit like the same on Tuesday, if there's a fundamental shift in the way we play or players' attitudes or something, I can't decide who that reflects badly on. I feel like it's a little bit of everyone because if all of a sudden, say, maybe more so Saturday in particular, we go down there and we do match up to them and we don't get overrun and we don't get bullied, clearly that would be a good outcome. But it's a little bit alarming that all of a sudden that's there. So... And that's kind of why I'm minded to. I don't. I don't see what's going to suddenly change in a week. To be honest, other than a manager with new ideas, they might want to do something a little bit different. But I don't see how you're going to have, presumably, give or take, the same group of players who are suddenly now not going to get bullied for ninety minutes. So I can't see anything other than a repeat of what's just happened. 
I, I'm the same. I, I'll be astonished if something different comes up in the next few days, uh, unless Barry Robson can somehow, and Simi can somehow instill, like I say, some backbone, some testicular fortitude to paraphrase Vincent Kennedy McMahon. It's a hard one, but of course, obviously, the, the, the counterpoint to this is if we could suddenly find something Tuesday, Saturday, six points would be right in the shout for fourth spot again. If we win on Tuesday night, it's a massive, massive game on Saturday. It'd be right in the shout, but more importantly, it might just give everyone a little bit of confidence that the players are good enough and the players are up for it. And just for whatever reason, it wasn't working under the previous regime, but you might have a little bit more comfortable uh, confidence that these guys are actually up for it. They're bothered and, you know, we're, maybe we're not as worried about the bottom of the table as we might currently be. But if nothing changes, then that is quite worrying because, you know, you do generally expect that new manager bounce, don't you? But I'm just not too sure from where we've been. I'll be, I'll be quite, I'll be delighted, but I'd be really, in a way, almost, since you would, I'm maybe a little bit disappointed if it suddenly all changes. Yeah. Because that would sort of point to a bunch of guys who just, you know, elected not to do it. Yeah, agreed. Gav? Yeah. I agree. Um, win against St. Johnston. A victory at Fir Park would take us above Motherwell, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it would. Huge. Huge for the whole club. It can't be understated how big these games are. Um, and like I said earlier, we just need everyone to be all hands on deck and ready to fight. And if that's people that are disappointed, upset that Stephen Glass is gone, you know, that's understandable. But we need everyone yeah it's a it's a big week predictions chaps for next saturday at uh the graveyard of abney managers for park it's not really rugby park is the graveyard of abney managers but there we go two two desmond okay steel nil nil no way we keep nil what somehow we'll get nil I, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to say Motherwell 2, Aberdeen 0. Uh, we get bullied all over the place. Kim Van Veen probably scores 2. And the thing that's going about this is that Kim Van Veen is not even that good a footballer. He has scored four goals against Aberdeen this season. Yeah, and you know what? He's not great. How many has he scored overall? I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I've got pointless graphs to go and produce. Um, scored half over half of his goals against us this year. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Stick that in a graph. So that wraps up this week's depressing episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Oh, on that, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Do I get predictions at you two for who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight? Um, can you tell me who's playing, first I was of all? going to say I'd need to know who's playing. It's, it's the Rams against the Bengals. LA versus Cincinnati. Well, you just pick one, Gavin, I'll go for the other one. Steel, you're wearing kind of very early Rams colours, so I'm going to give you the Rams. Okay, so well, yeah, I'm mad for the Rams. They're going to batter them. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are a bit more, more of a historic team, are they not? So uh, I'll give it to them. I guess, technically speaking, it's true. The Rams obviously relocated to LA recently from St. Louis. It's being held in LA. It's being held in LA's home stadium. Oof. Um, yeah, the Bengals... to show up to LA and get it right up them. I like it. The Bengals, of course, the romantic choice. That's the one you would always want to pick. They're the total underdogs going in. Mondacats. It's the first time you'll ever hear me saying that. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player 
of choice. Join us next week for episode 32. And what has happened in 32 weeks? Unbelievable. We'll review our fixtures against St. Johnston and Motherwell. The fallout from both those games, we'll have our usual look at our loanies in Loan Watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their fixture against Glasgow City before we turn our attention to our home fixture in the league against Dundee United and the homecoming of Sir Alex Ferguson. Maybe he might fancy one last dance. There's a Netflix documentary in that, isn't there? Wait a, wait a minute. That's Archie Knox's music. <laughs> He's got his cock out. <laughs> <laughs> that will make no sense having not heard the Mark Reynolds interview. Exactly. But to round things off, we'll have the latest in our line of interviews with Dawn's personalities of past and present. Next week, it's a delayed one. We apologise, but circumstances overtook us on this. Next week, it's part one of a two-parter. It's a man who can talk more than we can. He joined Aberdeen initially on loan in January 2012, went on to make 237 appearances in a red shirt, scoring seven goals in the process. He's placed 63rd on the all-time AFC appearance list, tied with Hall of Famer Peter Weir, a 2014 League Cup winner. It's danger man, Mark Reynolds. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you by Anderson Quantity Surveying. AQS's exceptional contractor tendering and comparison service provides you with a professional tendering documentation for your contractors to quote against, allowing you to have a fully transparent and like-for-like tendering process, saving you money in the long run, avoiding hidden and unexpected costs at a later date, and ensuring you select the most appropriate contractor for your project. To find out more, give AQS a call on 01224 502 550 or email gary at andersonqs.co.uk. Okay.